What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. Today is Friday, September 11th, a very sad day for all of us, as we all know what happened in New York 19 years ago. I live in New York, so it was very scary for us, but sad day for everyone around the world to remember, and our thoughts are with everyone who lost someone that day, because I know there are lots of people. Definitely. I saw we had someone in one of our groups today post, I think, that it was her dad was actually in one of the towers. So yeah, a very, very somber and sad day. Mm -hmm. There's really no way to segue smoothly from 9-11 to the rest of the episode, so we're just going to go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Olivia has an exciting update as we've all been following the saga of her selling her house. Sure, everyone's been dying to hear the latest update, but we sold our house. So it all went through on uh, Wednesday afternoon this week. And so I think the process is a bit different here to there or in my state anyway. So you exchange um, with the buyers. Um, That usually happens in the week or so after they put in an offer and they pay a 10% deposit. And basically that means once you exchange, they can't back out. That's when they say, congratulations, you've sold your house or congratulations, you've bought a house. So if they do back out, you keep their 10% deposit and you can have legal recourse against them but um our agent said in 45 years not one person has ever backed out after exchange so sold the house and then we settle which is when we get the balance of the you know money and they get the house um at the end of the month so that's very exciting so now I've just got to find somewhere else to live (laughs) well hopefully that'll be easier than selling your house yeah we're not in a real rush like we're living somewhere at the moment where we can stay for a while so that's fine. I'm like, I just feel so, oh, so relieved. I was waking up in the middle of the night being stressed and just so anxious. I don't even know why, but it's just so out of your control. I guess when you sell a house, you just don't know what's going to happen. So, so, so relieved to have it done. At least this way we can just take our time and figure out where we want to go next. Come to the US. <laughs> I wish. We can't go anywhere. Everything's shut. I would actually go on a holiday if we could, but Everything is shut. We can't go anywhere. So anyway, I know everyone, a lot of people have it very tough at the moment too, especially people in Victoria here. They're on like a big, big, big lockdown. So I know that a lot of people are struggling. So I'm not, you know, complaining at all. It would be nice for all of us to be able to go places, but hopefully next year we might be able to. We can meet in person. I was meant to go. Well, well, you know, not everyone knows this, obviously, but we had booked into <laughs> our kids to the USA at the end of this year for like a six-week trip. That was going to be our big, you know, massive one-off family trip. Obviously, can't happen, but hopefully, then next, the same time next year, we might be able to do it instead. Mm-hmm. And we, she was going to come to New York. We we're going to meet, and I feel like a lot of people. I don't know, probably don't know this, I guess, but we have actually never met each other. Mm-hmm. Most of us that admin our group have never met each other. Yeah. I think only you, Kendall, and Kelly. I haven't met Kelly, just Kendall. But Kendall and I live close by to each other, so I see her sometimes. But, um, yeah, everyone else is spread out. So it's just an interesting tidbit about mm. all of us. <laughs> interesting fact about the dynamics. We had um, some good reviews this week as well, which, you know, like last time we said we love getting, I'll just read out one of them especially, which I thought was really nice. It goes, I follow a lot of true crime podcasts and I love this one the absolute most. The conversation flows so organically and it's effortlessly funny and lighthearted without trying to turn it into a comedy. I get so hyped when they post a new episode. Someone please sponsor them so they can get more episodes. 
<laughs> which was so nice. I don't know who wrote that because they just put in a bunch of letters as their name. So thank you. Thank you to whoever wrote that. Thank you. And we also had some feedback that the little, um, I don't know what you'd call it, the little. It's like a static sound. It was just a noise I was using for transitions. Yeah, transition. That's what the word I was looking for. So when we play a clip, Stephanie would put in a little like a fuzzy like, noise. Sh- yeah. <laughs> so we had some feedback that that really hurts people's ears, which I would never have expected. So I'm glad that people told us that. And we're going to yeah. figure out. It doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't bother me at all. I guess, me at all. People, I guess yeah. it bothers some people. So and I know I'm going to try to figure out something different. Lozzie said it hurts her ears. Maybe it's just a pref, you know, a, some type of personal hearing preference. Yeah. So that was good to know anyway, which we had no idea. So Yeah. So I'm going to take it out. Maybe I'll throw it in every once in a while just to scare you guys. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Make sure you're paying attention. Keep you on your toes. Yeah. What's been happening with you? Anything? Uh, literally nothing. <laughs> At least you had your vacation. That's good now. Got it in yeah, finally. No- nothing bad is happening either, so that's always good. Yeah, I think that's a point now where we're just like, as long as nothing bad is happening, it doesn't matter if nothing is happening. <laughs> as long as nothing yeah. bad is happening. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the cases from the group? Yeah, I was just having a look through the group too to figure out what were the biggest cases this week, just to quickly mention for anyone who's looking for a new little rabbit hole. So the two I think that seem to have been the most popular, um, the first one is the case of missing child Braylon Noble. Braylon was a three-year-old and he went missing from Toledo, Ohio. Um, His mother, I think he had autism if I remember correctly, his mother gave a weird story about the last time that she'd seen him and she said that he possibly, possibly fell out of a third-story window. Mm. So, like, that was kind of weird from the start. So everyone was looking for him. He lived in an apartment complex. It had a pool. There was images of them searching the pool. We've got Nikki did a really, really good blog on this, um, images of his mum kind of searching in the woods, I guess it is, next to the apartments. He was such a cute little kid. Anyway, then it turned out that just a few days ago they found his body in the pool of the apartment complex, which there's no way, like there is absolutely no way they could have missed it. The pool wasn't murky. Like it didn't look the cleanest. Like it was it, a pool. <laughs> it was a pool. Like it wasn't like it had green algae or anything on it. It was just like a kind of a, you know, not the cleanest pool. But there is no, you would have seen a kid in that pool. You could see the bottom. Yeah, and they searched it. Like there was people in there, like we've got the photos on the blog before he was found of them like. Using sort of, like poles Yeah, and like stuff. a pole. And there's, in this photo there's three, I guess, law enforcement people just standing at the pool. The pool is like a light blue pool. Like there is no way. I just don't even know how this. It's like every other pool. <laughs> I don't know how anyone would ever think that, you know, maybe they would think, oh, well, maybe they missed him in the pool. And I know there was all things like maybe he'd been stuck in the filtration system and all that, but apparently the filtration system hadn't been turned on for months. And also absolutely not. He's not that small. No. It's not like it was like an industrial wave pool. It was just like a regular pool. Not like it was a pond or something where, you know, maybe he could have been stuck under reeds or whatever. It was just a swimming pool, a normal basic apartment swimming pool. So I think the theory is now that he – was put in there obviously a few days after he was somewhere else and he was put in there. They have done an autopsy on him and it says that he showed no anatomic cause of death and no gross evidence of trauma. Drowning has not been ruled out yet. Further studies and investigation are needed. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that one. Um, You know, I know some people are saying maybe he wandered around for three days or however many days he was missing and then drowned in the pool. But 
would he really do that after falling out of a third story window if that was the real which the whole I, thing's just it's just really so weird sh- yeah a whole bunch of very very strange things have happened so I suspect that someone hid him probably and then put him in the pool I just feel like saying that he might have fallen out a window <laughs> from the third story and then just walked off is so ridiculous I feel like I don't Maybe she was trying to set it up for when they eventually found him. Um, but then the thing is, he, it's also said that he had no trauma, which he would have, you would think. I know they say kids bounce because they don't know to, you know, <laughs> tense up when they're going to fall. But he still would have surely had some type of trauma from a, a fall from that height. Even if he didn't break any bones, he would have had something. Yeah, I'm on a second story right now. And I, if I fell out this window, it would hurt. <laughs> Like it'd be, yeah, it's, it's it's just ridiculous. So I don't know if she maybe said that to try and start setting up for the story, but then I don't know, maybe she just isn't the brightest. It was also ridiculous to me that they were saying, like, I don't know if this was just like the press not really knowing what to say. They're like, divers search the pool. I'm like, you don't need divers to search this pool. You could literally just walk in the pool. <laughs> yeah, it's clear. Yeah. It showed like the pictures, like a guy like up to his waist, like with a pole, just like poking around. I'm like, oh, those divers. <laughs> so a very very well it's very sad and it's just weird like a weird I don't even know what's going on with that one so hopefully we'll hear some more soon about you know if he had water in his lungs or probably get an answer before the next podcast comes out (laughs) so if you want to know right when it happens join our Facebook group because that's where you'll find it first I'm thinking you know obviously I don't know but my theory is that maybe something happened to him either maybe he was drugged or he accidentally passed away somehow from I feel um, like I had, it stems from neglect yeah that's what I was gonna say like for whatever reason and they've, they've tried to cover it up but who knows we'll hopefully we'll find out soon mm-hmm. and the other one that is pretty crazy this week is um we got on September 7 it was so just a few days ago we um someone submitted a story about a man called Andrew Lafleur so he was a 39 year old guy from Moss Bluff, Louisiana, (laughs) Um, and that basically it says, we've got it on the blog as well, truecrimesociety.com. Monday, September 7 at 5 p.m., deputies were dispatched to a home in Moss Bluff and he was found dead inside from a gunshot wound. After an investigation, the detectives learned it was an 11-year-old family member who was responsible for the shooting. So um, basically online straight away people started speculating and locals started coming out. And then, like, I've put all the screenshots on the blog so you can see. But one person wrote, he was shot and killed by his 11-year-old son. The sheriff's deputy said he beat that kid weekly for six years. The kid finally had enough. So there was all, you know, at the time we we figured out it was the son and then there was other other rumours like Drew and his ex-wife had been having a domestic dispute and the son pulled out the gun. Another one, Another person said it was an accident. So we were kind of, you know, waiting a little bit and it's just – become a big, big, big mess. So basically um, they said that the kid shot Drew twice in the back of the head. The kid's been arrested, I think, on second-degree murder. And then one of Andrew's children has come out. We've got the whole post on the blog. I won't read it all because it's very long, but basically he said that the child killed Andrew because Andrew was abusive. It says, emotionally, physically, and mentally, every day was something new, throwing dishes and coffee mugs to backing us into corners and screaming in our faces, to beating beating them to the point where they're running to the room saying, help me, help me, save me. He would leave welts and bruises daily. The youngest child was always sick and refused to talk for three years. 
it sounds like Wesley and he's, I'm sorry, not Wesley, Wesley's the son, Andrew and the ex-wife had a very toxic relationship and the kids witness this all the time. So sad. So terrible. So Andrew and his ex-wife as well were bodybuilders, I think, and there's rumours of roid rage. Um, you know, obviously we don't know. These are all rumours, but this does seem to be the most common stories that there was just years and years and years of abuse. I know some people have come out in Andrew's defence and said, no way, he would never do that. But this is his own daughter saying about the abuse. So I guess you can't get much more, you know, close to the situation than that. And some people have also speculated that maybe she was doing this in an attempt to save her brother, as in, you know, give him an excuse for why he did it. Mm. Um, would also make sense I guess but it's just a crazy crazy you know this little boy who was the shooter just looks so sweet there's heaps of photos of him online sweet smiling normal it's just so strange imagine that like and everyone's like how did you get the gun and Andrew I know was a hunter like he'd taken the kids hunting there's an article about him hunting with his little girl who was maybe four or five at the time so the kids had been around guns their whole lives so that I don't know, hopefully, I don't know if we will learn any more because he's a, you know, minor, but it all seems to be playing out online anyway. So we're trying to capture it all. If you want to have a look, it's all on the blog. So they're the two I've been following this week, taking up most of my time. <laughs> it's weird that um, steroids just like came up as a possibility in this context. Because hmm. I was just saying, I was talking to like Nikki and Danielle and Marissa and Kelly and all of them last night. And we were just talking about weird high school classes and stuff like that. And I was talking about home ec, which was such a weird concept. Looking back at now, we learned to like in middle school bake and yeah. balance checkbooks, which clearly I needed to know in middle school. <laughs> but um, they were, we also had to learn about like steroids and stuff like that. And we watched this movie and learned about roid rage and all this stuff. And I was saying that I feel like high school and middle school made it seem like steroids were to be like way bigger of a problem in real life than they really are yeah i think so too <laughs> it's like people who worry about getting drugs in their halloween kid <laughs> it's yeah. also not really a thing that you need to worry about <laughs> yeah no free drugs kids <laughs> all right today we're going to focus on the story of evelyn boswell um you've probably heard about this it was a pretty big case she went missing in february and if you've been around with us since day one of starting this podcast we actually did do this episode but since it was one of our earlier ones we deleted a few of those because we feel we've gotten better at it and can do a better job also there is some newer information since we first did it so we are going to redo this one so if you're wondering where it went that's where it went and here's the replacement I think it's a good time for us to redo this one as well because there has been some updates since we recorded first but I feel like there probably won't be many more updates until the end of the year. So now I've said that something's probably going to happen next week, but some like crazy, (laughs) there aren't, there are no updates due until I think it's, um, there might be an update at the end of this month, a small one, but December is December, I think. Yeah. 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 So hopefully it'll be enough update till the end of the year. Uh, Finding Evelyn is our main concern and our top priority at this time. This case is unlike anything I've ever been involved in. Uh, We've had a child that's not been seen by the parents or certain family members in almost two months and was just reported this week. Evelyn was last seen in December 
uh, with, as you all know, these cases are already time sensitive and we urge anyone with any information to come forward. I know there are a lot of questions and rumors floating around. Believe me, we have a lot of questions that still unanswered as well. Uh, the investigation began on Tuesday afternoon, February 18, after the Sullivan County Sheriff's Office received a State of Tennessee Department of Children's Services referral. The referral stated that certain family members hadn't seen the Evelyn in two months. The Sullivan County Sheriff's Office and the Department of Children's Services immediately launched an investigation to locate 15-month-old Evelyn Boswell. Her mother, Megan Maggie Boswell, has been involved in the investigation as long as with the father, Ethan Perry, who is stationed in the military in Louisiana. On Wednesday evening, just before 8 p.m., the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation decided the missing child met the criteria for an Amber Alert due to the child possibly being in imminent danger of physical harm or death. This story started around February 19 this year. The, there was an alert issued for a missing 15 or 16-month-old child. Some sources had different ages, but anyway, she was around that age, and the child's name was Evelyn Boswell. She was reported missing the day before, which was February 18. So it says the Sullivan County Sheriff's Office in Tennessee are currently looking for missing toddler Evelyn Boswell. The toddler is two feet tall and weighs 28 pounds. She has blue eyes. She was a sweet little thing, like, you know, beautiful blonde, blue-eyed, smiley little baby. Chubby cheeks. Yeah. So this all kind of started to emerge and the stories were a little bit weird um, and they said that basically she hadn't been seen um, since the end of November 2019 and she was last seen by certain family members and it says, sorry, near the end of November 19 and the 1st of December. 2019. So everyone was asking, why is there no Amber Alert for this child? And the the Sullivan County Sheriff's Office issued a statement and said, we realise that some may question why an Amber Alert has not been issued. Criteria for issuing an Amber Alert are established by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation or the TBI, and this case does not meet the criteria. So that happened um, February 19. So we, this is a question we get in the group a lot too when kids go missing about like, why haven't they issued an Amber Alert? There should be an Amber Alert. So there's actually pretty specific criteria for an Amber Alert that is. Um, the Department of Justice has guidelines, but most states follow those guidelines. I guess it could be slightly different for every state, but these are like the minimum requirements. The minimum requirements per the Department of Justice are belief by law enforcement that an abduction occurred, that it's believed that the child is in imminent danger, that there's enough information to describe the victim and the abduction. So that includes information about the suspect or the suspect's vehicle. So that's where a lot of times there can't be an Amber Alert because if a kid's missing and there's no, no one has any idea who the suspect is or what car they could be in, they won't issue the Amber Alert. Yeah, I feel like there needs to be some kind of in between, which is probably another discussion for another time, but there should be some other way you can make an alert for children who you don't have that information for. I think in some states they have something, but it's not like a national thing. National The other ones were that they have to be 17 years or younger and they have to be entered into the National Crime Information Center. Um, So they looked at them for Tennessee just to be sure that they were the same, and it is the same as that. 
Um, and then I also saw on the, like, whatever the official Amber Alert website is, it says issuing alerts in the absence of significant information that an abduction has occurred could lead to abuse of the system and weaken its effectiveness. So, I mean, I get why it's so strict, but also there's been so many times where kids are missing. You don't know who the suspect is. You can't get the word out like an Amber Alert can. You're not getting alerts to everyone's phones. And then the kid or kids in question wind up killed. Yeah. So that's that. (laughs) They didn't issue an Amber Alert to start, but eventually they did. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation did. They asked for help finding Evelyn. This was all happening February 19, February 20, around those times. We learned very quickly that the person who had reported Evelyn missing was her grandfather, Tommy Boswell Sr. He had called the Department of Children's Services to talk about his concerns because he hadn't seen Evelyn for months. The next day, February 20, the TBI released some more images of Evelyn, and these are all on the blog if you want to check them out. They released information about what she was last seen wearing, and they said that she was wearing a pink tracksuit, a pink bow, and pink shoes. So before we get any further into this you know, case, and I know we've already mentioned Tommy Boswell, there are a lot of people involved. We're going to try to just keep um, this episode contained to the main concise. people. Yeah, concise. <laughs> so we're not going to mention every single person involved. We'll just talk about the main players. Um, and so the ones that you really need to be aware of. So there's Tommy Boswell Sr., who was Megan's father and Evelyn's grandfather. Evelyn is obviously the missing child. The next one who is one of the main focuses is Megan or Megan. I don't know how you say it either way. I say Megan. I think it's a accent thing anyway, whatever. Megan or Maggie Boswell. So that's Evelyn's mother and she was 18 at the time when this was all happening. Throughout this podcast, we'll just refer to her as Maggie just to keep it simple. The next one is Ethan Perry. He's Evelyn's biological father. Ethan and Maggie didn't have a relationship at the time of Evelyn's disappearance. As far as we're aware, he didn't really have anything much to do with Evelyn. Um, Maggie did have a boyfriend at the time called Hunter Wood as well. So you may see him popping up around the the, place and the case. And the next one is Angela Boswell. So Angela is Megan's mother and Evelyn's grandmother. Angela was married to Tommy at some point. They were divorced. And at the time of this case, Angela has a boyfriend who you'll also hear about a lot called William McLeod. So they're the main kind of ones. Um, if anyone we'll, else pops we'll up. We'll preface or, who, yeah. who they are as we go. Yeah. So if anyone, and we'll put a little family tree up on the blog as well, because I know there are a lot of people to keep track of. I found a, a nice family tree of all their mugshots. <laughs> we'll put that up. All right, so the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children got involved quickly as well, and they released information that gave a date that Evelyn was apparently last seen, and that said that it was December 26, 2019. So that went against the other dates of November and the 1st of December that we spoke about earlier. Sheriff Jeff Cassidy told the media that his office received conflicting reports about when Evelyn disappeared. He said one report indicated that she was seen last on December 26th. However, he told the media that the babysitter claimed to have seen her on December 10 or 11, and those dates were more accurate. So I don't know why they couldn't really get a proper last scene date. I guess all these people turned out to be so shady and their stories just they, kept changing. Yeah, they all lie. As this story goes on, you'll see that they all lie so much that that is probably why they couldn't narrow down a date because yep. they all they do is lie. So, and I, I'm guessing they're saying that a babysitter who is kind of external to all these crazy people may be the most accurate source. So, 
you know, we'll think yeah. about December 10 or 11. So basically two months before she was reported missing. We're at February 21 now, so the next day. The TBI made another public appeal and they said they were looking for information about a grey BMW that was related to the case. It said, we now have information that indicates the individuals travelling in a grey 2007 BMW with the TM tag 3M96W9 have information regarding Evelyn Boswell's whereabouts. So this was a really, really fast-moving case once things actually did start happening, you know, was dormant Mm -hmm. for two months and then especially on February 21, a lot of information started to come out. So the police confirmed that the child's parents, Maggie and Ethan, were both involved in the investigation. The sheriff um, said that Ethan was stationed in the military in Louisiana and that the mother had full custody of Evelyn. The sheriff also confirmed on this date that some of Maggie's information had not been accurate. He said, her stories aren't leading up to stuff. We went out and checked on. He looked at video surveillance and eyewitness testimonies, but he didn't say much about what they were. He said that the information was conflicting and inaccurate, and he also said at that time that they believed Evelyn was alive. This was February 21, so two or three days after she was reported missing, and the TBI said they'd already had 300 leads come in about Evelyn's disappearance, but that none of them had developed into any credible sightings. So Maggie Boswell spoke publicly about the case for the first time on this date as well, February 21. Well, the reason I didn't report it or anything is because I knew the person who had her and I didn't want them to run away with her. And as soon as they thought anything was going on, they just kind of vanished. So I'm just worried about, you know, like where they're at, what they're doing with her at this point in time. So you do know who has her? Can you tell us who that is or you don't? I can't release anything further about that. I'm sure they will add to the the press conference, but further than that, I can't say anything. Mm -hmm. And um, so you you do know who has her. Are you you worried about her safety? Well, now I am because they won't answer phone calls. They've just kind of disappeared. What is it like to, I'm I'm assuming that you trusted this person. How... Has this trust been broken? What, what's been going on with that? It has definitely been broken after this. When was the last time you saw her? In December. In December? Okay. I know that you're you're hoping that she'll be returned shortly. Is there anything that you'd like to say to the person or people that have her that you think um, they should hear from you? They should just bring her back. They obviously know, like, what's going on and, like, you know, they need to bring her back home. Mm-hmm. And you said that you trusted this person so when did you realize that that trust might have been broken well when they just kind of took off and wouldn't answer anybody uh around when was that whenever this whole thing started okay She's an amazing public speaker, let me tell you. I highlight it all the time. She says like in some of these things. Yeah, I feel like it's I more than me. so many times. I try and be aware of it. But yeah, she does say it a lot. Me too. And I hope I don't sound as dumb as her. <laughs> I'll read out just a bit of it because it's quite long. So I'll read out a bit of a highlight reel. It says, in a way, I knew that as soon as anything went down, this person was going to disappear and they have. And they have tried to find them. They won't answer phone calls. They just kind of disappeared. And then she said she would do things differently if she was given a second chance. As I say, I wonder how um, Casey Anthony feels about Maggie totally ripping off her story. (laughs) She said, yeah, I probably would have called the first day. I should have, but I just didn't want them to run with her like they have now. (laughs) 
that was the start of her stories. That, that was, was that was the start of everyone being like, what is going on? <laughs> so Evelyn's grandfather, Tommy, also spoke to the media on February 21. So he was the one to call her in missing. He confirmed that. And he said that he'd last seen her on Thanksgiving. What do you guys think happened? Can you comment on that? I don't know what happened, but I'm the one called DCS and got this started. And why did you call DCS? Because I, my granddaughter, she never did come back, and I just don't know what happened to her. When was the last time you had seen her? Uh, Thanksgiving, up to his house, we all had Thanksgiving dinner. So you hadn't seen her since Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. I know some reports say that it was like early December, so yours was a lot longer than that. Yeah, it was Thanksgiving. Had you been in communication with them at all? Like, I know you hadn't seen her, but what about no, talking? No, uh, I hadn't talked to her enough. I stayed busy, and I talked to my ex-wife, and uh, I told her, I said, if Evelyn don't come home, I said, I'm going to do something about it. And she said, you better not do that. You're going to regret this. When he told his ex-wife, Angela, of his plans to call the Department of Children's Services, she said, in quotes, you're going to regret this, which was quite interesting, as we will soon learn. Red flag. Yeah. So still February 21, this is a busy day. Two people were arrested this day. They were identified as William McLeod and Angela Boswell. So just a quick refresher, William is Angela's boyfriend. Angela is Maggie's mother and Evelyn's grandmother. They were arrested in connection to the grey BMW that we mentioned earlier. They were charged with theft over $2,500. So if you remember earlier, they said that the people driving that vehicle would have Um, information about Evelyn's disappearance. So it's all kind of starting to fall into place here. On that day, also the Sullivan County Sheriff announced that there was a $30,000 reward for the safe return of Evelyn. And I I put in all the benefactors of that reward because it's quite interesting. The sheriff himself donated $1,000, which I thought was very kind. Yeah. Tommy Boswell Sr. donated $10,000. Tommy Boswell Jr. donated $10,000. So I heard as trashy as they all seem i heard that is tommy boswell rich or her family was has a lot of money well he seems to or some of her family land. maybe i don't think angela does but i i think tommy no. must have some type of money because he owns a lot of land and you know well he's putting up- angela definitely doesn't because her and william got caught stealing 42 dollars worth of stuff at walmart <laughs> that they were arrested for so but i saw some like local people saying on reddit that they this was like what they said, that Maggie was kind of the product of a spoiled upbringing, always getting what she wanted, never having to really do anything. Not that she lived like an upscale life, but like apparently her dad just paid for a trailer that she lived in and she never worked or anything like that. It wouldn't surprise me. She seems very entitled. Yeah, she was one of the first smug bitches in the <laughs> smug bitch society. <laughs> Um, So they continued searching for Evelyn, you know, over the next few days, nothing was found. On February 24, Maggie spoke to the media again. And her new story was that Angela had taken Evelyn to Mendota in Virginia. She said, I told the TBI where to find her in Mendota. My mum took her to a campground in a silver camper. And if they don't go tonight, I'm going to go find her myself because I've told them and they're not really taking it seriously. And if they don't go tonight, I will go myself and get her. This is, you know, I won't read the whole lot, but this is what it is. It's just her repeating herself. I wrote next to her, like, why didn't you do that already? Oh, no, why didn't she do that? Yeah, I know. Like, this is all, again, it's similar to the Braylon Noble. Like, these stories are just not making sense at all. 
Sarah, after interviewing Megan last night, we did follow up on some of the things she said. During the interview, she stated that she knew where Evelyn was the entire time. She says her mother, Angela Boswell, took Evelyn to a campsite in Mendota that she says she told TBI to search and they didn't. After speaking with investigators, they say that's just not true. In a press conference last week, Sheriff Cassidy said Megan Boswell's story continued to change throughout the course of the investigation. After speaking with her Monday night, she says she told police who had Evelyn from the start. I know she has to be in a campground in Mendota with somebody. And mom told me that they had a silver camper and that's all she would tell me. She claimed TBI did not search campgrounds in the Mendota area. According to Captain Andy Seabolt with the Sullivan County Sheriff's Office, they did check. They also checked every site again last night and found nothing. Um, and then <laughs> there was also some rumors at the time about her family. So Megan told news agency WJHL that she wanted to address these rumors. So she said, please read this one in full. <laughs> Gypsies are not a cult. They have been asking people if there is like a gypsy ringleader and like, I mean, we're not like ringleaders. We're not like out here kidnapping, kidnapping babies or anything like that. Well, yeah. And like my dad's very proud of that, you know, <laughs> but he's just mad about all the rumors going around, like trashing them. Cause like, we're not a cult. You know what I mean? We're not like nothing like that at all. <laughs> uh, oh, what a mess. In that little paragraph, there was 11 likes. <laughs> yeah, you counted them. <laughs> all right. So law enforcement did go to that campground in Mendota and they found nothing, nothing related to the case at all. But wait, because I know that this was talked about and I didn't follow this like really closely when it was first happening. And now I can't really find, like, how did gypsies even come into play, really? I don't really know. Do I'm know? assuming that's just kind of local talk. Um yeah. I'm not. I remember it started a big debate on if the word gypsy was racist in the group. (laughs) (laughs) A big hill to die on. So that same day, Monday, February 24, Angela Boswell waived extradition in a North Carolina courtroom and told the judge that she was anxious to resolve this situation. She told the district court judge, David Bird, I'd like to get back there and get this situation with my granddaughter resolved. So William McLeod, Angela's boyfriend, spoke about the BMW on this day too and he said that it was a gift from Evelyn's mother, Maggie. He said, I had no idea anything had went wrong with the car. Apparently her daughter hadn't paid for the car. Neither of us was aware of anything about that. They stayed in, both Angela and William stayed in custody at that time. The car belonged to Hunter, Maggie's boyfriend's <laughs> Hunter's mom. It was his mom's car. There is just so that's what I mean. There's so many people. So Maggie gave her boyfriend's mother's car to her own mother. Yeah, she stole it from her boyfriend's yeah, mother, basically. So that this is what we mean by it's hard to kind of keep track of everyone. <laughs> so during this time, there was lots of people calling for Maggie to take a polygraph. Um, you know, we're not going to get into the reliability of polygraphs here, but people wanted her to do it, and she told news source WJHL that she was pregnant. And that was the reason why she couldn't take a polygraph. I think she was insinuating that it might be harmful to the baby or something along those lines, but that was her excuse. And at this day, more than 500 tips had come into the TBI. So Megan spoke on the 25th to the news source, but right after that, she was arrested. The Sullivan County Sheriff's Office charged her with one count of false reports. She was held in the jail on a $25,000 bond. So the next day, they held a press conference about her arrest. And they said that she was arrested for false reporting after continuously giving bad information and conflicting reports. 
Every time we talk to her, her story changes. I'm serious when I say that every single time, said Captain Andrew Seabolt. You could tell that this guy hates her. He's like, I'm serious every single time. (laughs) There's another quote later. I'm like, he's so passive aggressive. (laughs) So right as they ended the press conference, they got a tip um, and started looking for Evelyn in a pond just north of Wilkesboro. So a few hours later, there's some photos of the blog on the search. We learned that the property where they were searching was owned by Mary McLeod. So Mary is the mother of Angela Boswell's boyfriend, William. So another person to add. But anyway, basically, it's related to William and Angela, this property. The search for missing 15-month-old Evelyn Boswell crossed into its third state today as the Wilkes County Sheriff's Department searched a pond here off North Lomax Road in Trap Hill, North Carolina, for several hours today as part of the investigation. That search came up empty-handed. At a press conference Wednesday in regards to Megan Boswell's arrest and giving false reports over her daughter's whereabouts, Sullivan County Sheriff Jeff Cassidy confirmed that crews were searching in the same area where Evelyn's grandmother Angela Boswell and her boyfriend William McLeod were arrested on Friday. The property near the pond owned by McLeod's grandmother Mary. She says her grandson was at her house Friday before he was arrested with Boswell who Evelyn's mom, Megan, says was the last person to see the toddler. They were found after a bolo was sent for a gray BMW that they were in. Mary McLeod says her grandson was wet when he came to her house. He's devious enough. His record from youth up, he's been devious enough to be involved in something. But around 5.30, the Wilkes County Sheriff's Department and Cheryl's Ford Terrell Fire and Rescue Department left the scene, deeming the search inconclusive to the investigation regarding Evelyn Boswell. So on, the, on February 26, William McLeod spoke with the news agency WLVT, who told them that he had seen Evelyn one or two times since he began dating Angela in June 2019. He told them he had offered to do a polygraph test and he also offered his DNA to investigators. I kind of believe William. I think William isn't the sharpest tool in the shed, but I don't really think he, I'm sure maybe he knew what happened to Evelyn, but I don't think he really had a hand in it or orchestrated or anything like that. Yeah, I could be wrong. Anyway, we'll talk about it at the end. February 27 now, Angela and William appeared in Bristol court. William's bond was lowered to $10,000 with the condition that he wear an ankle monitor if he was released. I have like two theories of what happened to her and it's basically like I'll get into it more at the end when we're we're supposed to talk about but it's basically either that like William and Angela did something and Maggie did something but either way they all knew about it either scenario yeah and our favorite captain Andrew Seabolt also spoke to the media again this day about the rumors that Megan was pregnant (laughs) this is funny I like he's so sassy here (laughs) he says I cannot confirm or deny her pregnancy. What I can tell you is that the jail medical staff keeps track of pregnant inmates for obvious purposes. On Monday, the 24th of February, there were four pregnant inmates. On Tuesday, the 25th of February, there were four pregnant inmates. Megan Boswell was booked in there at 9.19 p.m. on Tuesday. (laughs) The pregnant inmate count went to five on Tuesday at 11 p.m. when a pregnant woman was booked in. On Wednesday, 26th of February, the pregnant inmate count was five total <laughs> so according to sassy siebel she was not pregnant but he can't directly say that so he had us do some math and we figured it out so she wasn't pregnant that reason for not being able to take a polygraph was a lie 
Shocking. Shocking. Uh, Angela was released from jail on February 28. At this time, her next court appearance was set for March 4. So over the next few days, it was pretty quiet. One highlight, I guess, was that William McLeod appeared in court um, and that WJHL caught him on camera trying to speak with Angela and he appeared to be blowing kisses to someone. (laughs) On March 4, I know, Angela was due to appearing. Oh, this is also one of my favourite bits. So March 4, (laughs) Angela was due to appear in court. Judge Klein Lauderback asked Angela if she had yet retained a lawyer. She confirmed that she didn't have one yet. She said, I can't find an attorney that will take the case. And she said there was a stigma around it. She said that she called several lawyers and was waiting to hear back from them. The judge asked when she was going to have an attorney. And Angela said, I'm working on that. I'm Googling, trying to find lawyers. (laughs) So So weird. I'm sure that she just didn't do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure she didn't as well. She's probably just trying to. What kind of stigma? That's like the weirdest thing to say. That's literally what defense attorneys do. Yeah, I know. She's just a piece of work. So we're in March. Now we're at March 6th. And we got the news that no one really wanted. The police had found remains in the search for Evelyn. That breaking news. Authorities have found remains believed to belong to missing East Tennessee toddler Evelyn May Boswell. News Channel 5's Jason Lamb is at the Five Alert Center with what we know right now. And Jason, after a two-week search for Evelyn, this was not the news people were hoping to hear. Yeah, Emily, there's no other way to put it. This is a heartbreaking update at the end of a heartbreaking week in Tennessee. The remains were found this evening on a property. Evelyn's grandfather reported her missing to the Department of Children's Services. The property is on Muddy Creek Road in Bluntville. Deputies from the Sullivan County Sheriff's Office were searching the property when the remains were found. Those remains will be sent for an autopsy and a positive identification. So we did some digging in the group and we know that the property that where Evelyn was found belongs to Tommy Boswell Sr. So he's the one who reported Evelyn missing. However, it seems like it's a very, very large property and many family members live on different buildings on the property. And I Mm -hmm. think it was Tommy's I might have this wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's Tommy's. She was found near a property where Tommy Sr.'s mother lived. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't really matter. She was found on Boswell property, but she was discovered in a shed. And that's also who Angela said, you'll regret this or you'll be sorry or whatever. She said too. He told her that he was going to report her missing and she said, you'll regret this. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. So she was found March 6, March 9, Megan or Maggie. My birthday. Your birthday. It's always <laughs> Maggie again. I know. Caught again, and her bond was increased from twenty five thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand. The Sullivan County District Attorney General Barry Storbus said, "We thought it was appropriate under the circumstances to file a motion to increase bond and to have a hearing as soon as possible." So on this day as well, the TBI agent Brian Fraley gave the court some more information about the discovery of the body. He said. There was a body of a child, possibly a year, a year and a half old, and he confirmed the age, the size, and the characteristics of the body matched those of Evelyn. He was asked what else was found, and he said the clothing, with the prior interview of Ms. Boswell, the clothing described in that interview was the exact clothing that was found on this child. What else was there? And they asked him, and he said there was various child clothing, diapers, toys, that type of thing that would have belonged to the child. So at this stage, they still hadn't confirmed it was Evelyn, but it was pretty obvious. He said clothing was found. It was consistent, matched the clothing that the child was wearing. They also asked um, 
Fraley about statements that Maggie had made and they said, did Miss Boswell make any inculpatory statements with regards to the death of Evelyn Boswell? And he said, did you say culpatory or, and they clarify and say inculpatory? And he said, yes. So for anyone who's not aware, inculpatory statements are legally defined as incriminating or placing guilt or responsibility. You know, we still don't know exactly what she said, but it sounds like they had a pretty, you know, a half decent idea of what had happened or what she'd said. Or that something happened at least. So on the same day, a news agency contacted Megan's father, Tommy. He said he wasn't going to post bail for Megan or Maggie. Sarah, I know I keep switching Megan, Maggie, Maggie. (laughs) Just say both. On March 10, the family of Evelyn's father, Ethan, released a statement and it said in part, our focus has always been Evelyn and now on the investigation and bringing all of those responsible to justice. We have complete faith and confidence in law enforcement to do just that. On the next day, March 11, Angela spoke to the Herald Courier. She said that she'd last seen Evelyn in September and that her nickname for the child was Eve. She said that she thought Evelyn had been placed in foster care in recent months. It's surreal, she said, at her parents' home in the trailer park near Kingsport. It's something that's still sinking into me. I'm still in shock about it. Her story was that she had heard Evelyn had been removed from Maggie's custody and put with a foster family. She said that led her to get back in touch with her daughter and try to help her, but she didn't explicitly discuss Evelyn because she wanted Maggie to bring it up on her own when she was ready. So this is another new story to add to the mix. Yeah. That same day, March 11, the TBI did confirm that the remains did belong to Evelyn. They said, we have a sad update to pass along in our ongoing search for answers in the death of 15-month-old Evelyn Boswell. Remains found on Friday evening have been confirmed to be those of the little girl. So a judge sealed records from the autopsy for Evelyn. They still haven't released how she died to this day. And Barry Storbus, who's the District Attorney General, spoke to the media. He said, I thought it was necessary because of the publicity the case has engendered and because it's still under investigation. I thought it would maintain the integrity of the investigation. That's a very sad little update. But so we're at March 12 now, the next day, the Boswell family released a statement, which I like this statement. (laughs) It says, the immediate Boswell family, excluding Angela Jones Boswell (laughs) uh, of Evelyn, are in anguish and grief over their loss. It has been a very rough and trying time for everyone. At this time, they do not want to speak publicly in regards to the tragedy They are still trying to process what has happened. They ask for media and the public to respect their wishes. They need more time to grieve privately. Why didn't they also exclude Maggie? Mm. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. They just really really hate Angela, maybe. (laughs) But I I didn't think of it the first time. I guess Maggie is still their family, whereas Angela isn't really anymore now that they're divorced. But maybe, I don't know. But, yeah, you would think you would exclude Maggie too. Yeah. So after March 12, things went quiet. There was just nothing, no new information, you know, nothing much happening. We were at April 27, so about six weeks after that, investigators said they were still ready to receive autopsy and toxicology, but they weren't going to make them public anyway. We haven't heard. I'm assuming, I think they do know how Evelyn died, they've said in the meantime, but as of April 27, they didn't. Yeah. On Wednesday, May 6, the Sullivan County Sheriff's said a person of interest was being investigated in relation to the death of Evelyn. They didn't name the person, 
but they said they did have a person of interest. On May 8, Maggie appeared in court. The lawyers reviewing the case said they needed more time to review interviews with Maggie before they submitted the case to a grand jury. The state prosecutor, Teresa Nelson, said there were more than 25 hours of video interviews with Maggie to review before the case could be submitted. So a few weeks later on May 21, Maggie was indicted by the grand jury on 11 counts of false reporting. They decided that Maggie's bond would remain in place and they set the next hearing for July 31. So I think things might have been a little bit delayed because of COVID and whatever else. So unless we just didn't hear about the July 31 update until August, because on August 19, the TBI announced that Megan was being charged with two counts of felony murder, along with other charges. I'll just read out all her charges because there's a pretty long list. It says one count of felony murder in perpetration of child abuse, one count of felony murder in perpetration of child neglect, one count of aggravated child abuse, one count of aggravated child neglect, one count of tampering with evidence, one count of abuse of a corpse, one count of failure to report a death under suspicious, unusual or unnatural circumstances, and 12 counts of false reports. So I feel like those charges make it um, fairly obvious about what they believe happened to Evelyn. Also, just an interesting side note that I found because I was reading about her charges and someone asked how you can be charged with two felony murder counts for only one murder. And I guess it's it comes down to the jury will decide which one fits best according to the evidence. Right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. I think they did it just to cover all their bases. So in case they say that she wasn't guilty of child abuse. Yeah. Guilty of child. That's how I understood it, too. Uh, They set her next hearing for August 28. Her attorney, Brad Sproles, said he had not recently spoken to Megan. He said, I've not been able to speak with her. There have been some COVID issues at the jail, so we're somewhat limited in our ability to talk to folks up there. But I've spoken with some of our sheriff's officers. In the next few days, they're going to make arrangements where I can talk to her by video. I I don't like Megan or Maggie at all, but I think this is quite terrible. If she doesn't even have access to an attorney, that's, you know, and she's got... I saw, I think someone was saying that I guess the jail that she was in or like that area had like a pretty bad outbreak and that was why so they were being really strict I I guess why can't you video chat like like I guess everyone's learning like this is a learning experience for everyone in terms of COVID and communication but you would think that would be one of the first things they would have set up yeah anyway just that was just a little point I found interesting so August 19 Angela and William appeared in Bristol General Sessions Court the same judge, again, Klein Latterback, found probable cause for the theft charges to move forward to a grand jury. So this is where we learn more about the theft of the car. Melissa Wood, who's Hunter's mother and uh, Megan's boyfriend's mother, <laughs> who originally owned the vehicle, testified that she was going to sell it to Maggie in February. At that time, Maggie was dating Hunter and she took the vehicle February 13 to get it checked out and never bought it back and no money was exchanged. It says she was supposed to be purchasing it for her mother, but I never received payment on it. What a scumbag. I know. (laughs) Ricky Curtis, who was an attorney representing William, asked Wood whether Angela or McLeod were told they were not allowed to drive the car. I don't even know him and I've met her once, so no, that was the answer. As far as I can tell, I believe now, in terms of Angela and William, they're due back in court at the end of this month. So we can give you a little update on that when that happens. Megan appeared at a hearing next on August 29, and she pled not guilty to all 19 charges that we spoke about earlier. 
WJHL has covered this case really extensively and I got this information from them. Uh, Brad Sproles, who's Megan's attorney, filed a motion for change of venue due to extensive media coverage of the case. This seems to be happening a lot. I know it's happening in the um, Vallow case as well where they want to get it moved to, I guess, stop bias by the locals and things like that. So he seems to be going down that way as well. I think it's also another, it's just like a small town from what I've seen. And I guess it's also a way to buy time as well. Yeah, and everyone's emotionally invested and... Judge James Goodwin scheduled Boswell's next, sorry, Boswell, Megan's next court appearance for December 3 at 1.30. On that date, the state is supposed to determine whether or not there'll be enhanced punishment, which would be the death penalty or life without parole or not. So they haven't said if the state will seek enhanced punishment for Maggie at this time. Um, The penalty for first-degree murder is a life sentence. And Barry Straubus, who is the District Attorney General, has said, it can also, on certain occasions, carry the death penalty or life without parole. So we'll have to announce to the court what we'll be seeking in this case. Um, he also said on this date that he filed a motion for a bill of particulars to receive clarification on Maggie's aggravated child abuse and neglect charges. He said both of those based on what they refer to as serious bodily injury, but it doesn't. That's all we know. So we've asked the state to clarify those statements as to what bodily injury they are referring to. Um, And they, News Channel 11, asked Megan's attorney how she'd reacted to the charges. I'd rather not say at this point, he said, she obviously is charged with a very, she's obviously charged with as serious a crime as she can be. So, you know, she's very serious about it and understands the gravity of what she's facing. So that is the extent of what we know in Evelyn's case. As I said, we don't know how she died. We've learned a little bit more when they speak about the serious bodily injury, which to me make it seem less likely that it was she just died because of neglect. Uh, that's true. Which we didn't, this is only a new thing. We only learned this, you know, a week or two ago. So it seems to me like she did suffer an injury that did cause her to die, unless she was just a beaten child anyway, which I guess is also a possibility. People were saying that, I guess, Hunter, who is Maggie's boyfriend at the time this was going on, when this all happened, he kicked her out. She was living with him, even though they'd only been dating for like a few months, and he kicked her out or whatever. He was doing some interviews. And he mentioned something about Evelyn breaking her arm. Okay. So I don't know what the whole story was there, but people are saying that it could hint at maybe what happened. Like maybe her arm is broken for some reason. Yeah. Like if they're trying to cover the story. She, it's just like this poor little girl. I know when they said that at the time when she was found in the shed, they said that she was surrounded by like toys and so there was a kind of a theory that maybe she'd just been left to die in the shed, which I hope yeah. wasn't the case. I hope whatever happened to it was quick. And Another theory that I saw on that, I think it's probably more so something like that, or I guess there's two theories. One person said that they were wondering if it was like a sign of remorse, kind of like guilt, like if you, yeah. you'd leave the toys and blankets with the body, they but then someone else brought up. Little, yeah, yeah. Like I a sh- memorial that. almost. Yeah. Yeah, But then someone brought the point of, like, I could see that, but then why, like, the diapers? Like, why? So then I saw someone else saying that it seems like it could also be someone was just trying to, like, get rid of all the evidence of a baby being wherever Evelyn was and just got rid of all her stuff with her. I feel like, um, you know, obviously this is all just speculation because we don't actually know what happened to her, but I feel like my theory is that Maggie – 
did something to her. I, I have no doubt that Angela probably knew about it. I think I think that Angela, though, has a drug issue, so that makes yeah, me wonder. Yeah, they both. I know we've been talking about how they're all kind of just like the worst people. Yeah. But I did write down some of their arrests for William and Angela. To clarify again, Angela is Maggie's mother, Evelyn's grandmother, and then William is her boyfriend. So, Angela's boyfriend, yeah. Yes, Angela's boyfriend. So William was arrested on May 3rd of this year, actually on charges that were unrelated to Evelyn, but he was arrested for child abuse and neglect, violating a protective order and domestic assault. So this had to do with his ex-girlfriend, who I think was 37, and his he has an eight-year-old son with her. I guess he was showed up at her house. She thought he was on meth. And he the article said that William was assaulting the female and the eight-year-old tried to get him to stop like hurting his mom. And the eight-year-old was struck in the face. Mm. So he was arrested for that, which, even though it has nothing to do with Evelyn, could kind of feed to the fact that he clearly doesn't give a shit about kids. Another one was in March of 2020, Angela and William were arrested for shoplifting at Walmart for $45 worth of Mm -hmm. items. So clearly they're struggling, I guess. (laughs) Um, I wonder what that was stealing. I would have liked to know. Yeah, I know. It just said $45 worth in two cents. (laughs) Um, between July to November 2018, Angela was caught twice driving with a baby unrestrained and in her lap. So again, no no regard for child safety. Yeah. Yeah. Also in November 2018, Angela was arrested for stealing pastries. And when they booked her into jail and, you know, they do like the strip search type thing, um, they found Schedule 2 drugs on her. And I looked it up. Schedule 2 drugs are things like meth, morphine, things that are highly addictive. Okay. Um, I've seen a lot of people saying that they're all meth addicts, so that would make sense. Yeah. And then one other one was Angela crashed her car in 2019 into another vehicle. She was driving without a license and had no car insurance. Mm, she sounds like a real winner. Mm-hmm. They mm. both clearly have no regard for not breaking the law <laughs> or children. And I know you sent me a whole bunch of stuff, especially from Reddit about the case. One of the one of the comments, which I don't know if I agree with 100%, but someone said that Maggie was the vehicle, a vehicle, a victim of like this cycle that she she gave Evelyn the same upbringing that she had because I guess Angela was a not a great person. I mean, I think it's true, but it doesn't make me feel no. bad for her or like that she isn't at fault. I do still feel like she's absolutely at fault. But with these people in her life, like what kind of upbringing do you think Maggie had, especially as a pregnant 18-year-old? She clearly had no support either. And that's probably why she's so seemingly immature, feels like smug, like nothing's going to happen to her. Like she never really had a chance to have a good life either. So. And I know that we've spoken about Hunter, who is Maggie's boyfriend. So I tried to look him up just to clarify, and I'm pretty sure he's 27 or 28. So he was quite a bit older than Maggie. Um, And I know there's a lot of rumors too about his involvement in the case. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that he was involved. No, I don't think so either. But a lot of people, a lot of people do think that he could have had something to do with it. I saw someone say I couldn't find it anywhere else really but someone said that one of maggie's false reports that she told police was that like at night they were sleeping with evelyn and 
her or Hunter rolled over on her and crushed her. Yeah, you'd have to, you'd think for an, I don't know, maybe unless they were on drugs or whatever, but for, maybe for a tiny baby, but not for a toddler would be much harder. Yeah, well, I mean, they deemed that it wasn't true anyways, mm. but. Um, and I know like the rumors online say that Hunter had a history of maybe abuse. Um, there's a rumor that he had an ex-girlfriend accused him of hurting her baby. Rather than press charges, she accepted a settlement from his family. I don't know, maybe he did know more about abuse if abuse was happening, which it sounds like it was, but I don't think he really probably had anything to do with the actual death of Evelyn. Uh, yeah, I suspect that she was just a very abused child, or, you know, just she was an abused child and maybe one day Maggie went too far or she died from some type of injury from her abuse. Oh, here's more about them being criminals that I found. Um, it was a picture of like all their mugshots put together that I was talking about before and someone commented and asked what kind of charges did they all have I think that's important to know and someone said well Angela got charged for stabbing her ex-husband in the neck with a pen during a fight they all did meth Angela's ex and their son hit her lover with their work truck after finding her in bed with him lots of wholesome family things you know I wonder if that ex I wonder if she's been married more times than Tommy I wonder if Tommy was the one who got stabbed in the neck (laughs) <laughs> with a pen. No wonder he doesn't like her. Yeah. This one I didn't really see a lot either, but this is coming from someone who knows them all kind of is local to the area. Apparently Maggie's dad and brother were charged with attempted murder in 2012. They tried to kill a boyfriend of Angela's. And also they said that Mendota, where Angela supposedly had Evelyn, is a particularly bad area for drugs, particularly meth. It's also very mountainous, a lot of places with no cell phone service, and a shoot first, ask questions later mentality. Mm. So they just, it's just, the whole family's a big, big mess. Even though I know yeah. this Tommy kind of paints himself as um, a good guy. Like, you know, he was, and I think he is. He's been arrested too. He's the good guy in this case. Like, he did report a missing, you know, he's put up the reward and all that stuff. Like, he's been very vocal about being anti Angela. And he didn't, you know, he obviously didn't post Maggie's Bond either, but he, yeah, he's no angel himself. <laughs> no, <laughs> he has a few mugshots also. I feel like, I don't know now, because you pointed out that bodily injury thing, but I still think it kind of all stems from neglect of some form. Um, and I feel like I wouldn't be surprised either way if she died in the care of Angela yeah. or if she died in the care of Maggie, but I still think that they were all in on it. I feel like. Angela and William helped hide the body maybe because they did show up at William's mother's house at like a weird time, like all wet and covered in mud asking for gas money. And they stole this car and clearly left town like they were caught in another state or something, I think. Right. The only thing that, yeah. The only thing that makes me think that they weren't I, like, I have no doubt they were involved before Evelyn died, maybe in some type of abuse or whatever, but they weren't involved in anything related to her death because they haven't been charged. Like Maggie's got these 19 charges. Yeah. If they if they have that much evidence, which it seems like they do, why aren't they charging at least Angela with something if she was involved? It is weird because yeah. the story about how Maggie said maybe she was just trying to place the blame on Angela. You know, Maggie said that Angela took the child and, you know, all that stuff. So maybe that was just her trying to deflect what had actually happened. Yeah, I feel like Maggie probably tried to pawn Evelyn off on Angela and them. Like, I feel like Maggie yeah. didn't really want to be a mom and probably 
kind of like a Casey Anthony situation where she wanted to go out and party and maybe she was leaving Evelyn alone. Maybe she did leave her in the shed, but I just feel I like... Just hope, I know it's sad to wish any type of death on a child, but I hope that she died quickly, like maybe from a blow to the head, which I know is terrible, but I just that is better for me than her lying in that shed for days or whatever by herself and dying that way. It's just weird because in the interviews, um, we'll put in clips from them, but Maggie put off so many people because she, like we said, she's very smug. She almost seems giddy while she's talking about this. I think she likes the attention. Yeah. I think Maggie maybe stem from her shitty family never giving her attention growing up. It wouldn't even surprise me if Maggie is a bit delayed in some sense like she's she's absolutely not the most intelligent person I thought the same thing there might be some type of I don't even know I like I can't even think of what it would be but some type of delay just like not educated like no socially or yeah like she's just actually educated she just seems super like I know she's only 18 or 19 now but she just seems much more immature than that that could have been kind of along the lines of what that person was saying is that like her dad had some money and she kind of never really had to do anything. Yeah. Um, and there I, wasn't, there's probably also part, you know, he's me being a psychologist, but why like in terms of Hunter, like Hunter was a lot older, his family owned some fried chicken shack or something. So they had, it sounds like possibly, you know, some means it's not like she dated someone who was her own age who didn't have a job or whatever she it seems like she sought out someone who was able to provide for her apparently his family people were saying that his family is not like a powerful family but like a well-known family in the area and they were trying to say that it would be enough in their opinion to maybe kind of keep hunter out of trouble and stuff like that so Mm. I could just go with what you're saying of maybe she knew that they were kind of like a important family of the area. But one other comment that I found that I thought was interesting and a lot of these comments and when we're talking about Reddit, there's a whole Evelyn Boswell subreddit. That's where we're getting a lot of this information from just to credit all these people. (laughs) But this one I could see happening, I think, but they said, anyways, if Maggie is one of these types, she may have been in the habit of leaving Evelyn with Angela and other family members for an extended period of time. Something happens while Evelyn is with Angela. Eventually, Megan asks to see Evelyn. Angela gives her the runaround, says she took Evelyn to the gypsies because Megan wasn't caring for her and Angela didn't want to raise her. At some point, Megan may have tried to force the issue, at which point Angela either threatened to turn her into CPS for neglect, threatened that the gypsies would take Evelyn away forever if Megan reported her missing, or possibly told Megan that Evelyn was dead at that point and that she would be suspect number one if she went to the police. Maybe all three. I find it odd that Evelyn turns up on the property of the person Angela had threatened, allegedly, and Megan just doesn't strike me as a criminal mastermind. I think also like that kind of statement could point to Megan having some type of delay maybe she really did believe the story about the gypsies if that was true like I don't think most people would but (laughs) maybe she really thought that was what happened I just feel like those charges are so specific to Maggie that she had to have something to do with actual death I don't think she was just involved in the cover-up I feel like she had to have been involved in Evelyn's death yeah I think I agree I think it it must be like a similar story to 
her just not wanting to. I think no, maybe her and Angelo came up with that story about let's say we gave her to the gypsies or let's say she's with someone, you know, a foster family or whatever. So weird. Like, just the more I think about gypsies, like, (laughs) it's not often I think that we don't have a real good idea about what happened. Like, obviously, we generally know that she probably died from abuse or neglect in some form, but just the circumstances surrounding that are a bit. But we don't know who was responsible for her during the time. My, my my money's on Maggie, Angela being involved somehow, but I think Maggie was the main abuser and the main perpetrator. I feel like maybe she got hurt and then they thought she was dead and Maggie just kind of left her in the shed or something. I know I said earlier that I believe William McLeod when he said he was going to do a polygraph and all that, but then in terms of that, I think he still seems to be involved with Angela. Yeah, I think that. I don't know. He's I wouldn't be surprised himself. if he was involved in some way either. I think he's shitty. He also. I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't involved. If he was involved with um, like dumping the body or whatever they did. Yeah, he seems like that type of guy. He has a face tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that's it for Evelyn. I, you know, as I said, the Angela and William are due back in court at the end of this month, so we'll give you an update, and then we might do another episode later in the year once Megan's, depending what comes out. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we learn some more, but it has been pretty silent the last few months since it's all kind of happened. So it gives everyone plenty of time to research, make sure you know who everyone is. I just want to give a shout out to to the people in the group because I had some questions because I know we did this case earlier, so I knew um, a lot of the information, but I just had some questions for clarification and the people in the group were super helpful. So thank you to everyone who helped with that. All right. So like Olivia said, we'll keep everyone updated. Like I said earlier, if you want prompt updates since this podcast is biweekly at the moment, make sure you join our Facebook group if you're not in it already because that is where we're always talking about all the crimes constantly in real time as they're going on. You won't miss anything because there's 150,000 people in the group all over always looking for crimes to post. Yeah, a quick little info about the group too. In cases like Evelyn's or Gannon, Stark or whoever, you know, big cases, I think we have a good little organisation system. So what we do is we have discussion threads and then we also just have a thread dedicated to like official updates only So because I know it can be hard to follow all the discussions. So there's no way that you'll miss anything in these big cases. Yeah, we decided that we were going to do that after we realized how (laughs) big the group became and how hard it was to sift through all the comments about praying for people and oh my god I hope that bastard dies and I would kill him and did you hear this yes we have heard. yeah (laughs) yes we heard it 10 times (laughs) anyway so it's it's great that people want to um contribute but we have a good little system I think for just for just updates if that's all you want you just have five minutes and you want to come and read all the updates we've got we've got you covered so yeah make sure you're in our Facebook group we have Instagram Lassie's doing our Twitter Yay. All that. Follow us on everything. If you haven't left us a review yet, please leave us a good review. If you have any feedback for us, like that sound effect one was really helpful to us. So if yes. you have anything like that to say, just shoot us a message. Absolutely. Message us before, you know, we are more than willing to have a chat if you've got a suggestion. So just send us a message on the page. Yeah. Don't leave us a bad review. <laughs> <laughs> good reviews only. Good news only. <laughs> you have anything else to say? Just say it to my face, okay? <laughs> I feel like we've had some, like, people have been generally really, really kind lately. Like, it's so, I think it's lovely. Warms my cold heart. <laughs> Me too. And then I get one, like, three-star one, and I'm, like, devastated. I'm, like, I'm never doing this again. You've broken my heart. I hate this. <laughs>
All right. Well, I hope everyone has a great week. Thanks for the memes and we'll see you next time. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.